you remember Tom Green? Yeah. you remember who Tom Green is? Yeah. He had a show on MTV for a while. The Tom Green Show. And the theme song was, this is the Tom Green Show. It's not the Green Tom Show. And that has stuck with me forever. <laughs> and this morning when I was taking the train to come in here, I was saying to myself, this is the bike shed show. It's not the shed bike show. Which, congratulations, I just gave you your new theme music. That's... <laughs> <laughs> bling, bling. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Derek. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. Welcome to the bike shed. <laughs> How's it been going? It's been going great. Good. <laughs> Are we... Would it, all right, we should do a Hey, Derek, Hey, Chris. I feel like that's fitting. I, I feel like we just We did. just did. What are you talking I got, about? I got, well, I mean, okay, we can just start talking like normals. Tom will handle it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Handle it in post. You don't work here anymore, do you? No, I don't. I don't work here anymore. Uh, I miss y'all, but yeah. I, I don't work here anymore. It's no. a sad thing. <laughs> We miss you as well, Derek, but you've gone on to some fun adventures, so I was hoping to have you back in and chat a bit about the things that you've been up to. What have you been up to, Derek? I work at GitHub. I'm an engineering manager there. I work with a team that is known as the Rainbow Skate Team, which is two combination of emoji that we, it turns out, are very tied to and carries significant identity, I guess, for the team. So it's, it seems like nonsense from the outside, but it's very meaningful on the inside. Sure. And so... For the first few months, my team there, which is four developers, and we worked with a designer who's not directly on our team, but works with us. We worked on the suggested changes feature. So if you, you may have seen it on PRs where you can click a little button and it puts the code as it exists on that line into your editor, and then you can change it and say like, oh, I think you should rename this local variable or whatever you might want to do. Rename local variable turns out to be a bad example. <laughs> so that was the thing that we worked on. We worked on that for specifically it was it shipped at GitHub Universe, which was the conference we had just last month, early in October sometime. So it was an interesting experience because it was a project that was handed me on day one and it was like and it has a strict ad- deadline, a strict series of deadlines really, because you can't just finish the thing that you want to launch on the conference the day before the conference. Was it essentially unstarted? The team had done some spikes and they had some working code, but it was very like the exact direction, the exact scope, all those things were not quite set. And so my experience on it was coming in and figuring out like, where are we? Where do we need to be? What decisions need to be made? Am I the one that makes those decisions? <laughs> like, this does sound like the perfect job for a ThoughtBot developer. <laughs> yeah. So it was very much at first I was just like, oh, it seems like the team knows what they're doing. But then, you know, I think one of the very first things I was directly involved in was uh, we had this notion of like we wanted to staff ship the feature. So at GitHub, if you work on if you work at GitHub, your experience of using GitHub.com is slightly different than everybody else's experience because you get all the feature flags. So the idea of staff shipping something is we get it to a point where we want to present it as part of GitHub.com to our staff, and we do that through feature flags. And so we wanted to get there relatively early in the process so that we weren't super stressed out when it came time to be like we had these deadlines that were like feature freeze, which is like this feature is not going to change. We can start looking at it to prepare keynote content, things like that. And then we had the idea of actual code freeze, like you can't touch this thing anymore, right? And so we wanted to eliminate as much stress as possible from those two deadlines by being aggressive when we were going to say, like, we're going to staff ship this. We're going to start getting internal user feedback so that we can be in a good place when it comes time for those other two deadlines. So one of the very early on things I ended up having to do to make us be able to do that staff ship early was, like, lead the team in an exercise of what can we ship without right (laughs) like being like nope this is out of scope and it was clear a lot of a lot of things were pretty clear it was like this would be awesome to have 
but it's just not going to happen in the timeline. Not like not even close. Right. <laughs> Some things were like, well, we could do this or we could spend more time refining the experience we have and making those decisions and, and working with the team to kind of like what's important. And we had a few conversations that were a little... Some of them were obvious and some of them were a little more, I don't, I don't want to say contentious, but they were a little more hotly debated, I guess, about what should stay in and what should get the axe for version one, for our MVP, really. I feel like those are the conversations that matter. You had a very real deadline. This is a, one of those rare cases. We talked a ton about deadlines within ThoughtBot and we you know, have blog mm-hmm. posts and podcasts and things, and it's such an interesting and contentious topic, but they exist sometimes. Like There was a large conference that was a ton of work and a lot of things needed to converge. And so you absolutely needed to ship something by then. Right. And so this is a rare case where you had that. And so then you shifted into the other mode of let's think about what we're not going to do then. And that's the realistic actual conversation that you need to have that I find is more of an uphill battle than I wish at a lot of clients, but is I think the important conversation. It was interesting too. And like, I was very comfortable having that conversation because we have that conversation all the time, but I'm not used to not knowing who clears those decisions, right? Mm. Like, like so as an example, like if you've used suggested changes, one of the things you probably want to do is change multiple lines at once, right? That was, that was a thing we were considering early on. It's a thing that didn't make it into the MVP for reasons we perhaps can talk about, but like, I don't think they're that interesting ultimately. But I think that if you understood them, you'd be like, oh yeah, of course. But it didn't make it into the MVP. And so it was like, okay, if we're going to make this date, this isn't going to happen. Who do I turn to to say like, hey, by the way, this is the way the feature is going to operate. Are, are you cool with that? And so that was the very first thing that I remember, like, just kind of looking around and being like, who do I run this by? Because it's me. And there's a designer that is kind of, um, Joel Khalifa was a designer on the project. He's kind of like operating as the voice of the user, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were in agreement that, like, if it's useful to you on multiple lines, it's useful to you on one line, was what Joel said. And I was like, yeah, that's. It's true. I've used it as an aside. Uh, (laughs) It's a great little feature. I write a lot of actual single line comments. Like not everything fits in that. There's plenty of things where I write a paragraph, but and so so the the question was, what do I do with this? And it turned out through like one on ones with my manager, it was like, no, that's that's your decision. You Mm. you are the person doing this, and so you communicate the way it's going to be. And if somebody has a problem with it, we'll hear about it. So it was just like at the status meeting for GitHub Universe, I said it's going to be single line diffs. And this is, and everybody's like, cool, great, okay. We didn't go away and do this project and then show it to them the day before GitHub Universe. Mm-hmm. We went away and we showed it to them many weeks before, right? right. Uh, and they started to play with it and we started to get feedback and we iterated on things and we polished the experience. Like what we shipped with it at staff ship time, which staff ship time was maybe early September, late August even. And, you know, we shipped it at Universe in. October 16th or something like that. So what we staff shipped with was good. What we shipped at Universe with was much better. And what we had early on before staff ship, like we've we've gone through the exercise of being like, remember what it used to look like? Remember how it used to work? The iteration on it was really great, which is like I keep telling the people that I work with is like, you're going to hear iterate, iterate, iterate from me constantly because it's, it's a thing I learned here for the most part, right? Was yeah, like the, the value of like ship something, get feedback and iterate. And to us, we couldn't ship things because of like the the desire to keep this as like a thing we launch at a conference in a big way. We couldn't ship this to users and get feedback, but we could ship it to internal people and get feedback. We talked to users early on with some like mostly mocked up kind mm-hmm. of things that they could look at and be like, "What would you think of a feature that it like this?" And we did that. We did a bunch of user interviews and things like that. But then we kind of had to go internal only on it and be like. Okay, let's keep you still have a pretty big internal team. So that's a lot of real end users. They happen to be super powered users, but they are 
representative of, I think, right. the larger audience. And that, that question of you have to iterate, but you can't go fully public with it. What what can you do? Or you're not yet ready to commit to the thing and say it out loud. And so still finding a way to iterate the, like the idea of having just mock-ups. You just mm-hmm. sit in front of someone with like even paper mock-ups and say like, okay, so what do you, what do you think of this? What does this make you feel? Right. Is it clear to you what you would do next when presented with this UI? Do you feel empowered by it? Do you feel engaged by it? Right. Do you All know what it does? Right? <laughs> does it, like if I say to you, insert a suggestion, does that mean something to you? Those types of things. Those are the questions we ask people, and we ask those people under NDA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so, so we do a lot of that, and we do have obviously a large group of developers internal. Like, one of the great things about working on GitHub and working at GitHub is like you're building a thing for you that you are the user of, and so are a bunch of other people. Some like you, some not like you, but mm-hmm. you are representative of a chunk of the users. But that said, we miss some things. Like, for example. The largest bug that we shipped with that we were not aware of was if you made a suggestion on PHP code, when we rendered your diff, some HTML was part of the like rendered text in the diff rather than just seeing like the, you know, pretty syntax highlighted green and red lines that you Mm -hmm. might see in a regular suggestion. It wasn't a big deal. It was an easy fix and we fixed it, but we lost the chance for that first impression on those people who were trying to make changes to PHP. It turns out, turns out. A lot of people use PHP. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people at GitHub per se, right? But a lot, of, and that that aspect of like, oh, are you only testing in Chrome? Do your users only use Chrome? That's why I use Safari. Yeah. Uh, do <laughs> you use Safari with the network throttled and with the CPU uh, right. down and yep. et cetera, yep. et cetera? Yep. And so that so you lose some fidelity from your end user base, right? Mm-hmm. Like, first of all, the people at GitHub are excited about GitHub and are plugged into the things. And when new things show up, they pay attention, right? Whereas people who use GitHub as a, a way they get their job done, sometimes they're like, oh, there's a new thing over here, but I don't, I don't have time to figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. Like, let me just push yeah. that out of the way and then move forward and that kind of thing so it's you know in an ideal world we probably would have done like a small private beta and then maybe even a small public beta and then shipped it but i it was fun to do it this way it was fun to like have a surprise and be like hey Mm -hmm. here's the thing i think there's value in that because you own the message you get to publicize it and talk about it and hopefully garner some interest and things like that we did a very similar thing with the upcase launch where we kept that under wraps for a while. I mean, granted, I was half working on it in semi-public, and I don't know why no one noticed. <laughs> but we worked for a few months leading up to the launch, and it had a very similar like, well, there's going to be one day where it goes. And at some point, we had to pick that day as well. Mm-hmm. We had to say, like, this is the date that it's going to happen because we're going to need to converge marketing efforts and podcast releases and all of these other things that we wanted, that singular spike. And so we needed to know what day that was. Right. And it was, I think, like two weeks beforehand, we were like, okay, it's going to be that Thursday and suddenly everything became very very real and it was like okay what um what all can I do and what can't I do so actually just today Matt Jankowski is going through with like a negative 9,000 line diff to remove a bunch of features that we just like softly hid Mm -hmm. but still had in the code base that sort of thing but yeah deadlines are totally real and there are times where you don't just ship the thing to production immediately most of the deadlines that I dealt with though previously were they were real, like most, well, some of them were real. Most of them weren't. Most of them were just like, we picked a date, yep. which is fine. That's a totally valid thing to do. If that's what you're doing, that's a totally, it's a motivational thing for your team. As long as you're honest, as long as you're not like, I picked this date and hundred percent of everything we said three months ago must be done by this date, right? Yep. That's, you're going to kill your team. Don't do that. But if it's, you know what this team needs? Team needs a deadline Yeah. because otherwise we're just going to like float. Perfect is the enemy of the good. Right. We're just going to float and we're going to figure out things to do. Yep. So it's perfectly valid to just pick a date. But most of those, most of the deadlines were those things. There were no, there weren't a lot of teeth behind them. Or even mm-hmm. if there were, like some of them would be like, well, we signed this one customer and we told them this thing would be done, and that's important. But like, 
you can be like, well, we all we got like 90% of the way and we're going to paper yeah. it over. You can you can do some things, right? If you're in a business to business thing and like you're selling a deal and one person's actually going to use it or five people mm-hmm. are actually going to use this thing, right? Versus a thing that's going to be announced on stage that uh, millions of people are going to have access to on day one. <laughs> uh, Not so, to put any pressure. Yeah, it was uh, nerve wracking, but it was fun. I definitely find myself in the situation where sales is the driving factor for deadlines. And again, I understand like that's a lever that salespeople have that they get to use, but that's one that I will politely try to have conversations around and say like, okay, but could we do less of that? Could we be less specific in what we're agreeing to? Could we have more of a conversation around that? Um, Because that's one where we are constrained in a pretty real way by an external date and often by a feature set. And that gets us into that worst case scenario. Whereas like, we're going to ship the thing loosely. It's going to be the first version of, you know, suggest a change. And mm-hmm. we know the date, but what that exactly means, we can we can move that around. But yeah, deadlines, man. Right. But that's exactly how it worked, right? Like, I was nervous about like, well, what I'm removing, did that mean something to somebody? And no, because it was, it was like you said, it was like, here's a date. We're going to ship this thing called suggested changes. Figure out what it is, how it works, and what it does, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> was, and it was like, this is vaguely what we want people to be able to do mm-hmm. figure out what we can do in the allotted time frame that people are going to like yeah i think starting from the problem statement of we see a lot of recommendations but then people have to manually copy that over and right. so is there some better workflow that we can provide there and starting from that abstract idea of a user need and then building back towards a an actual solution and implementation mm-hmm. um, that also you know speaks to the process yeah. and it was really fun one of the parts that was the best about building the feature was like using the feature when building the feature mm. so like once we got to the point where it actually worked when people would Submit PRs that dealt with building more onto the feature. Yep. We could make suggestions. You know what I mean? Like we could make is like self-hosting in a way. Yep. So like the first time I accepted a suggestion, I was like, "Wow, that was really cool. That was fun. I didn't have to go to my editor." Blah 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 blah. It's great. The first time that it really hit me how empowering this was was when I had already moved on to something else. So like I have a PR up. I'm locally doing something mm. totally different, right? And somebody makes a very simple suggestion that's like, "Yep, I should have I should have done that that way." And I can just be like, apply, CI runs, right? And like, I don't have to do that dance that I had to do before where I'm saying, okay, hang on, let me commit what I have or stash what I have, whatever you want to do. Let me switch over to the branch. Let me make the ch- figure out what file it was, what line. Oh yeah, right. What's the change I'm supposed to make? Oh yeah, okay, good, got it. And then like push that up and then go back to what I was working on before. So it, it sounds perhaps maybe like I'm over emphasizing how much of a bother that was but the very first time i had to do it i was like oh we, this is going to be great <laughs> the other thing is like the whole time i was the whole time we were building it i was like this is going to be great for pros specifically thinking about things like the thoughtbot blog and being pros like, being p-r-o-s-e yes not not github pros p-r-o-s <laughs> yeah. pros like p-r-o-s-e like uh writing a blog post or you know our our legal department told us like hey we really like this because i do all their stuff as text files and yep i was writing the announcement post to talk about the upcase launch the day after this feature mm-hmm. went live and so immediately i was like oh cool uh, a bunch of people made some nice tiny little line comments i can just roll them in so it was uh, the timing was perfect how was your experience did you like it what don't you like about it tell uh, me Come on. i wish it had multiple line support yeah otherwise i think it does what it says on the tin i like it it's a useful like it's not world changing but it is a very useful addition i noticed that about a lot of things that github is like incremental steps actions as a as a different thing like that that feels like we introduced a whole new yeah, paradigm actions here. is like a 
that's a strategic bet, right? right? Whereas suggested changes is like, here's a feature that yeah. we think might improve your use and improve your, your daily life. And the thing we announced today, which was, or yesterday, I think maybe like moving an, an issue from yeah. a repo to repo. It's like the kind of thing that, like that's the one that was like, why couldn't I do this before today, yeah. right? And now I can, great, fantastic. And the whole paper the cuts team, the idea of mm-hmm. just like shaving down those little inefficiencies. And I like that as a theoretical approach to having a product and refining it over time and just delighting your users. And as someone who you know gets to benefit from them, I like it. So yeah, that the the feature of suggested change, it's great. Yeah. I love it. So we expected two bits of feedback when we launched, mm-hmm. and those were people would want to use it on multiple lines, which check that was a yep. big thing, and that people would want to batch up commits. So like when they had five suggestions mm-hmm. rather than being like apply, 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 right. they would want to just say like yep, Stage, all, all of these, ones. and then here's a commit message for them. So we expected that. We got that feedback. It's interesting because. So there's a, like a little feedback form that you can fill out and mm-hmm. you fill a survey. And we expected it. And the reason why I was thinking we would expect it were for things that like were contingent. So like, for example, if you're working on C code and you change the signature of a function call, you have to update the header and you have to update the implementation, right? Those mm-hmm. are two different files, but you can't really commit the first one without committing the second mm-hmm. one. And I mean, you can, it's just the first commit's going to break, the second commit's going to fix it, that kind of thing. And I thought, you know, people are really going to care about having those atomic commits. And they do. People do care about that. But you know what else they care about? Not kicking off five CI builds Mm. when they only have, their plan only has four. Oh, yeah. And it was like, that was another one of those things that was like, yeah, of course that makes sense. Like, we have more CI resources internally. So it's not that big a deal. But if you have a handful of suggestions and they and you apply them in such a manner that like the build already doesn't get a chance to be canceled, it's already kicked off, like because you're merging and like, then you merge another, like CI mm-hmm. picks up in the between the time you merge the two. I know there's a setting in Circle CI that I turn on on every project that I'm on, which is cancel redundant builds. Yep. So that like which the latest one wins and all the others will be canceled. Yeah. But yeah, that's an interesting one. I I did notice that, but I it was one of those where I like, oh, this is gonna be multiple. Whatever, I don't care. And mm-hmm. then I went on. I've been getting better at that in my old age. Of <laughs> uh, this is a little bit of a never mind. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> just moving on. Uh, I pride yeah. myself on that. It was good to get the get that feedback along with the PHP bug that was like, oh, we got to fix this. It was heartening to get feedback that we thought was coming because mm. it was like, okay, that means we built the thing we wanted to build, yep. and there are obvious next steps. Right. Whether those next steps get taken and when, or like that's <laughs> back not into talk the about land that. of secrets, Derek. Uh, but <laughs> like the multi-line thing is interesting because like we would love to do. I think there's a good conversation here because like. Multi-line, you look at a method and you're like, oh, they're doing these three lines to accomplish something I think they can do in that would be maybe better over five. Or maybe vice versa. They're doing five that I mm-hmm. think they could do in three because they're misusing an innumerable method or something like that. That's an obvious thing where suggested changes might really help, right? But I think, you know, if I just ask you, why doesn't it work on multiple lines right now? Well, can you comment on, on a range of lines on GitHub? You cannot. Right. I mean, that that was pretty obvious to me. (laughs) Right. So, Um, you know, that's a significant like, okay, we're going to have to figure this out. mm -hmm. But there's also a there's also more of a philosophical thing, which I'm curious about your like your idea about. So, like, if I push up code, you give me written feedback on that code. It's on me to decide, am I going to apply this change or am I not? If you suggest me one line change, like that limits the kind of like a directly implementable suggestion that you can make to for example, the kind of thing a linter might make or mm-hmm. like those types of small, very targeted things. If I let you rewrite an entire class, if I, let's say junior developer, let you rewrite an entire class in one suggestion as you senior developer, right? 
I'm going to apply that because like you did all the work and it's like, well, he's a senior developer, I guess. Bang, click, right? Mm -hmm. It totally broadens the types of changes you can make. Mm -hmm. Our internal conversation around that, which was separate from whether or not technically it, it was possible, was like, is that something we want? Like, do you want people making these huge changes to a PR in a way that's just like click a button and apply it? I mean, my concern would be that the larger the change size is, the more likely that... I mean, I'm just typing it into a text box on the internet. If we're being mm -hmm. honest, I, when I do that sort of thing, I actually will open up the editor, I'll write it in Vim, and then I'll, so with syntax highlighting and with file type and all that sort of stuff, and even potentially with linting, and then I'll bring it back into GitHub to actually present it. But there have definitely been times where I didn't, and I just like, ah, here's five lines. I think they work, but spot check them. Mm -hmm. So it does get into a weird mode. I can see your point, but I do do a lot of that style of comment where it's a bigger, mm -hmm. like a lot of my comments span multiple lines or I'm saying like, here's a different class interface that you can use here, but then it's right. a partial thing. I usually don't write right. the entire class again. Right. And that's why we were thinking that maybe that's just better as just like a conversation that people are having. Yep. It's not a directly like, I made this small fix for you, mm -hmm. a small change for you. And like the, the whole part about like, it's not an editor. You're not typing in an editor. You're typing in a text area. And we did get some feedback about that, like people being like, oh, I want it to syntax highlight as I'm typing. And it's like, well, this isn't, no. this isn't Vim. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, you could throw Ace Editor on the screen and whatnot, but then this feature has changed. Right, right. I so agree with not. I mean, and you also do that for some of the, like if you're editing a file, then I think you're in an Ace or similar you're in some sort of editor, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, if you're open to it, I would love to shift the conversation just a little bit. I'm intrigued. You have joined a pretty large-scale engineering team, mm -hmm. and I'm partly interested, and I don't know how much detail you can go into, but what uh, what's the current shape of GitHub? Is it a monolith? Is it a big Rails app? Is it split apart into things? What's what's true now? For all intents and purposes, it's a big, it's a big Rails app. So I work in the experience engineering group at GitHub. Our role is to basically work on user-facing features of GitHub.com. So that happens in the GitHub GitHub repo. Mm -hmm. So it's github.com slash github slash github. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> sure. That, am I allowed to say that? I don't think that's a secret. That'd be a weird secret. <laughs> Security by really bad obscurity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Security through obviousness, <laughs> hiding in plain sight. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, most of what my team deals with is like in that repository. There is an effort underway where it makes sense to be like, hey, there's no reason for this to live here. It can live somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's going well. It's interesting because on day one, or I guess it was technically day three, my first two days at GitHub were mostly onboarding meetings. So on my first real day of like, okay, I'm sitting down at my computer trying to figure out how to do this job. Somebody posted a link to the bike shot episode that you and I did. Our service is the new rewrite. Our service is the new rewrite. Love that episode. And they started talking about it. And I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> And so, like, in the chat, I did, like, a little wave emoji yep. where I was like, hi, that's me, and uh, I just want to give you some context. <laughs> I think we did a good job of this in the episode, but the mm -hmm. context here is, like, we're talking about our usual client experiences. GitHub's a different animal. Like, mm -hmm. But the conversation around it was actually really positive because they were like, what we talked about in the episode was like, hey, you know what's really cool is a centralized way to, like, tie these things together is GraphQL. Mm -hmm. And they were like, that's kind of like what we're doing is like we have this GraphQL layer and if, if things move underneath it, that's fine because the API is this GraphQL thing. So I was like, yeah, yeah, we did get that right. Yeah. <laughs> but I did have to have like this moment of like, you should know that like we're, I think, very specifically not necessarily talking to people who actually have these huge concerns. Uh, and although even then, I think in the episode, we did a good job of saying as a first approximation, as a way to think about software, probably start with a monolith and probably stick with it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. 
There are, of course, going to be situations where that doesn't make sense and where you can go to services and there are organizations that have been famously successful with it. But <laughs> there's complexity there. There's there's demons in those there hills. So I think we did a good job in the episode of framing that. Hopefully, if not, then this moment, let us take this chance to say <laughs> there are the GitHubs of the world, but there are also a few of them. Yeah. Internally, GitHub has a lot of really cool, I mean, I mentioned feature flags before. We have this thing called Scientist where you can like measure the output of one path of code and is it the same as the output of the refactored code, like that kind of thing, like at runtime, right? You can run both things and do the experiment. And so we're really well set up to do things like extractions and see how they impact. And the deployment process is set up to like deploy to a small number of hosts and then figure out like, are we generating a bunch of 500s? Like mm-hmm. what, what's happening here? So I think there's it's not just like, hey, let's extract the service and run it. Like there's a lot of thought put into like what services make sense on their own. How are we going to make this not trigger an incident? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Is it fair to say though that there's still a large monolith at the core and that that will likely be the case for a long time to come as far as i i'm concerned yes i don't see and i don't see this ending tomorrow no (laughs) i uh i use github as sort of an example when i have this conversation but i want to like i was very interested in having the conversation (laughs) with you and being like am i am i telling lies though is github like did they just go to soa secretly and i didn't hear about it but i mean it sounds like there's some and i I think even in the episode where we talked about it we're like there are cases where we think services actually make sense little functions that you're extracting out off to the side less stateful less the owner of a particular type of resource, that sort of thing, worrisome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, pull out this service and let it do a thing in support of the larger system. That that totally makes sense. And that is, um, I don't know that I can get into specifics about what lives in the service and what doesn't, so I'm yeah. just not going to. But like the things that do fit that like, oh, like when I saw like that lives, I'm like, hey, that, that fits that definition Chris yeah. and I were talking about. Where it's like, yeah, this thing, it succeeds as a whole or fails as a whole and it gives me back data, right? And like, <laughs> that's neat. Yeah. So we got that one right. Check. Awesome. At least as far as we're concerned. As far as GitHub (laughs) and ThoughtBot are concerned, yeah. Well, I guess continuing on then, you have stepped, I think, into even more of a management role. So you were a development director here, which meant that you were supporting a team of developers. I was one of those developers. Uh, It was fun. I enjoyed (laughs) it. We had some good chats. But you were also billing on client work three days a week at that point. Has your world shifted more into management? Are you writing less code? And what's that look like for you? Yes. (laughs) So when I first started, Especially once I got back from San Francisco. So I went there for a week, came back, and I sat at my desk, and I was like, well, now what? Right? Like, <laughs> and it, I What struck- exactly would you say I do right, here? I struggled with it because I was like, you know, if I was a developer and they just gave me a ticket, yeah. I'd know what to do. But I've done that a million times at ThoughtBot, right? Mm-hmm. Like I start at a new... Every time we start a new client project, it's like starting a new job. Yeah. Right? You have to build that trust. You have to like figure out the system. You have to figure out what this card means, where you need to make the change, push the change up, get the approvals, win people over, yada, 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 yada. I know how to do that. But then I was just like, I don't, what do I, what do, I do? What, what's my job every day? Like, <laughs> and so I struggled with that for maybe a day or two. And then I was just like, I'm just going to write code because I know how to do that. And so I did that for a while. And I remember the, the very first thing that came along that I felt really great about was like the team had been basically hooked into this giant controller to do most of our work. Mm-hmm. And at one point, another developer and I, Mike Kavoris and I were talking and we were like, you know, it'd be really nice. It'd be, it'd be great if we had our own controller. And I was like, oh, I'm really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I just I sat down for like five straight hours and extra- pulled out this controller mm-hmm. with like did my whole thing. The thing Who I wants did. to talk about rest today? Right. <laughs> this is the part where we still believe in rest. Right. And so I did the whole thing. And it was like, I felt so great afterwards. And I was like, I contributed, you mm-hmm. know. But then over the span of the next couple of weeks, like things came up where it was like, like that conversation I talked about where it was like, hey, we're going to have to figure out what we're shipping and what mm-hmm. we're not. 
and that came up and then like the need to start planning what we were going to do next like beyond suggested changes comes mm. up and you know one-on-ones i have one-on-ones with the four developer now five developers that report to me i have one with everybody every week so those take three and a half hours right plus time for notes plus time for things like that it's a lot of project management that i guess some engineering managers are used to that other engineering managers have project managers right mm-hmm. dedicated project managers but the role is a lot of project management at github as well as and the engineering management part of it so it was really i've just kind of snowballed from there and picking up like oh okay this is a thing that like somebody needs to decide for the team or somebody needs to represent the team's interest here that kind of thing there were you can imagine that we shipped a lot of things at universe and that requires a lot of deploys in advance to like mm. oh let's get this out there let's test it let's have that staff ship feature and so deploy queues end up getting backed up right and it takes many hours to get your deploy out so like that was an opportunity as an engineering manager to be like this is impacting my team it's making it it's making it so that we can't ship something in the morning and then ship an update a couple hours later it's drawing out this time over several days instead and so that was like let's get together with some other engineering managers and figure out what we can do about this problem those types of things just popped up and naturally took me from thing where like the best thing i can do for this team right now is write code to like the best thing i can do for this team is enable them to ship faster somehow or make it more clear what they should be working on next, that type of thing. How do you feel about that? I had mixed emotions, right? Because yeah. like when I did that controller thing, I was like, oh, that was great. It felt really great because yeah. I know I'm good at that. And then I was like, instantly, thy next feeling was like, did I make a mistake? Was that not the right use of my time? No, no. Did I make a mistake in taking a job as an engineering manager? <laughs> Even oh, worse. Wow. When, oh, wow. <laughs> right? Run it all the way up. Because yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I really enjoy this. But it turns out, like, as I started to do more things that were, like, team enablement, mm-hmm. right, it felt really good because I was like, well, I'm helping these five people do something really great for millions of people, mm-hmm. right? I actually really like that role, it turns out, which is good. <laughs> it is. And I still have time to do development, but I try and do that at, like, targeted fixes that I know I can do in, like, a very short period of time because, mm-hmm. like... Over the span of the week, I may have enough time to do something that would take a day and a half for somebody to do, but it's going to be so broken up mm. that like it doesn't, it makes way more sense for me to do like maybe do some initial investigation on it and be like, I think it's somewhere around here that we need to do X, Y, and Z, and then be like, put it in the card and be like, hey, Nika, can you, can you pick this up? Right. You know, she can pick it up or not, depending on her availability, but it, like she's going to be able to have much more time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. dedicated time to get through that. So what might take us the same amount of programming time is going to take me a week to finish. Right. There's an interesting corollary to that, though, that you're spending a lot of time doing the disambiguation work. That's a phrase that I'm going to use here. Sure. The like figuring out what it means, what it looks like, what the path forward is, and then you're handing that off. Have you felt any fatigue around that? That like you're operating in the least defined space. And then once something gets to the space of a defined, you're largely handing that off. No, not yet, I guess. Okay. I'll, I'll watch out for it. I'll I hope I know. didn't incept you with that no. idea. And, and like, it's not that I'm always handing off tickets and being like, uh, this area of the code is mm-hmm. where this update needs to be. It's more like having done a little bit of thought around what does this actually mean? Mm-hmm. Is this something we should do? That type of thing. Maybe I've gotten to a point where I was like, hey, this is a bug and I know it's in this part of the code. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I haven't gotten that far. And then I, I hand that off. It's like a, tri- it's a triage kind of thing. Yep. So far I haven't gotten that fatigue. I have, I do have like, you know, GitHub Actions is a thing that we announced. I want to play with that so badly, <laughs> right? But I, I haven't had time and like... No Fridays at GitHub. Well, you probably well, Fridays have exist. Yes, yeah. Fridays do exist. <laughs> That'd be weird if you had that kind of pull to make Friday not a thing anymore. But no investment days at GitHub as far as I understand. Yeah, no, no technical investment days, although there is a culture of like, hey, it's Friday. 
Fridays are for spikes, right? Mm. Or Fridays are for checking out the, like trying that thing you wanted to try. Coffee's for closers, Friday is for spikes. Yeah, so there is that kind of culture among the engineering team. So uh, at least among the engineers that I work with on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> so as long as there's not something that was like screaming for your attention on Thursday mm. that you didn't finish, it's not like total freedom investment time, but it's like, uh, hey, was there something during the week that you were like, this would be nice to get to, but yeah. you haven't had time to get to that kind of And thing. to be clear, investment time is not totally free. It's not there, supposed to be, right. <laughs> there's uh, the like shaping and the discussions around it have always been interesting as, as the years have gone on and the way that we talk about how to use that time and how to be most purposeful in it and ideally walk the line of true freedom and, and self-direction, but also you know, thought about having more strategic goals and having areas that we want to pursue and it's a very complicated topic. It's one of those things that like, oh, with Upcase, we'll just make it free. That should be easy. Oh, God. <laughs> Turns out that, that has ramifications or we had unlimited paid time off for a while. That one also had some externalities that we hadn't thought about. And mm-hmm. so we switched to a fixed time off policy and investment date. Like, yeah, sure. Just do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we should talk about it a little bit. Like those, <laughs> those subtle refinements over time are always very interesting to me. So let me take the this line of questioning and turn mm-hmm. it because you ah. are now a development director I am. at ThoughtBot. Yes. So if your day is like mine was when I was in that position, mm-hmm. you are splitting your time between consulting and managing a team and maybe potentially if you're hiring you're trying to hire mm-hmm. or maybe you're helping out in sales or you're helping out in scheduling like those types of recording things. the so occasional bike re- shed recording an occasional podcast wow you you just you stepped into my role chris yeah uh, <laughs> how's that going for you like what have the biggest surprises been what is what are you enjoying the most about it it's interesting the particular structure that we have at thoughtbot where i'm both a billing client developer and a manager to individuals is complicated and trying to be mindful and fully engaged. The way that you're talking about your day getting broken up as a manager, ideally I'm available to my team, but at the same time I need to try and be fully engaged when I'm working with a client. So I'm finding that to be a little bit delicate to walk, definitely doable, but it's a thing that I need to be purposeful about. I've tried to structure more of my management, bike shed, et cetera, stuff to fall on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So that ideally there's Friday time that can still be Friday time, Monday through Wednesday, that's client time. Thursday is solidly manager time, but the world doesn't necessarily work that way. So there's a little bit more adapting and figuring things out as I go and, and shifting things around. And But that said, I'm really enjoying it. I like the sort of conversations that happen in one-on-ones. I think our one-on-ones are a little bit different or the, the structure of being a manager here is a little bit different than at an organization like GitHub or something where you're more of a team lead slash manager. In a lot of cases, I am not working with my team. I'm working on something else every day. And so our one-on-ones, to a certain degree, end up being catch-up on the work that they're doing. So it has a different shape, but I really do enjoy those conversations and the little bits of, well, I'm struggling with X. What what do you think in this case? And trying to provide some guidance and some help along the way. So I like to talk, turns out. I'm a, I'm a talker. I, I find that it's a way that I actually process things particularly well. I find like as I'm describing something, like this is a perfect example. I don't actually, I didn't think about this beforehand, but now that you're asking me, I'm starting to talk through it and find that answer. And so having conversations with people forces me to get to the understanding that was sort of subconscious for me. So I love that aspect of it. And I love being more engaged with ThoughtBot. I deeply care about this company and being able to ideally help grow it, help sustain it, help the people within it be more fulfilled and happy in their work. 
those are deeply meaningful and impactful things for me. So uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear it. The management at ThoughtBot thing being different is something I talked about a lot with like Josh and other people here, and maybe even you, I don't remember, because I experienced the same thing where it was like, oh, wait a minute, like this is different than every other, like you can read management books that are just, they're different mm -hmm. because like you don't know what the people who are reporting to you are doing every day. You just know what they're telling you they're doing. Mm -hmm. And we trust them. And, and when somebody brings an issue to you, you can help coach them through it, but it's harder because you don't have, you have the context through their eyes, which we trust the people who work here in like 100%, right? But I think everybody would recognize that like you only see your own side of the story, right? Mm -hmm. and an impartial third party might see another avenue for agreement here, but where you're having potentially problems, right? So that was always a challenge, I think, working here. But I also enjoyed it for similar reasons. Like I really like having those conversations with people when they're like, I'm struggling to deal with this. And it's, I talked a lot in one-on-ones, like especially early on, like I would just like drive the one-on-one -on -one and then I would mm. tell you how I felt and blah, blah, yeah. blah, and blah, blah, blah. And then learning how to be like, oh, I should let them talk about it. Right. Yeah. Like I should, I should let them do it. And I should just ask pointed questions. Uh, and now the thing that I'm really starting to learn, particularly over a zoom call is to become comfortable with silence. <laughs> It's a weird parallel to the podcast as I, I, I end up listening to the each like finished episode to produce the show notes mm -hmm. and I hear how much I'm talking. So I've been very purposeful in leaning into silence and particularly in the podcast, it's a little bit easier because I know that there's an editor. So if there is an awkward silence, he'll take it out, but also being fine with that in the one-on-one -on -one context and saying like, let me leave a little more space here just in case there's something else that you want to say that I might talk over. It's a challenge, but I think it's a very good one. And it's interesting to me, the parallel between those two. Yeah, it's, I've had conversations with the people on my team to say like, and now I'm going to be silent. Mm -hmm. right? And this is a thing where just like, because I can't, I just can't stand that silence. I will fill it with something, mm -hmm. but I will make it clear that like, I'm going to wait, right? Like, mm -hmm. we're just going to pause here for a little bit. That's cool. You think about it for a little bit. I'm going to take a drink of this water. Yep. And like, <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know. It's a thing I'm working on. It's a tricky thing, but it's an important thing. Active listening is uh, actually just attended a management training last week, mm -hmm. uh, which was fantastic. But I think uh, one of the like strongest messages in it is the importance of active listening and, and what that means and what that looks like. Cool. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Thank you, Derek. Well, with that, I think we have probably uh, covered a, a good number of topics here. Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back in the uh, podcasting office here. <laughs> it is awesome to catch up with you. People can find you on the internet at Derek Pryor on Twitter. That's that probably correct. the best place. Yep. Awesome. I will uh, put that in the show notes if anyone who listens to the bike shed doesn't actually know how to find <laughs> you on the internet at this point. But uh, we'll make sure anyone new that might have found their way in in the past few weeks that they know how to find you. And again, thanks. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our others, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes or share it on Twitter. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at at underscore bike shed on Twitter or hosts at bikeshed.fm via email. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next Bike Shed. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.